Hello, thanks for listening to Acting Related, the My Sight Director podcast. I'm your host, Frank Prendergast, and my guest today is film and documentary maker Kira Highland. You might have seen Kira's work on television recently because she has had not one, but two documentaries air, one hot on the heels of the other, Koga Ervno and 74 Days, The Hunger Strike of Terence McSweeney. Koga Ervno, A War on Women, is a new Irish language documentary that blows up the myth that sexual violence against women didn't happen during the War of Independence and the Civil War. And it tells for the first time, in their own words, some of the stories of women who were victims of it. 74 Days, The Hunger Strike of Terence McSweeney uses contemporary science insights and the original medical notes recorded during McSweeney's hunger strike to recreate the story of the last 74 days of his life. Both are really powerful works. If you haven't seen them, you should definitely go and seek them out after listening to the podcast, of course. So for now, let's chat. Kira, thanks so much for joining me for a chat. Um, you have had uh, two documentaries uh, on TV in like practically on each other's heels. Um, and with everything that's going on, it seems kind of phenomenal, really. Um, the first was Cogger uh, Ervinol. Uh, and then uh, also 74 Days, The Hunger Strike of Terence McSweeney. Um, and I believe you said that the, that 74 Days was actually shot uh, during lockdown itself. Is that right? Yes, yes. Hi, Frank. Thanks a million for having me on. You're <laughs> it's welcome. Great. Uh, it's, it's really, really nice to be here. Um, yeah, we shot 74 Days uh, in the space of four months over the summer. So it was the shortest, quickest one I've ever made, actually. Um, the turnaround was really, really tight. Uh, we were supposed to start shooting um, much earlier, but obviously lockdown uh, 1.0 happened and that delayed us. So, yeah, we shot it all over the summer and it aired last week on RTE 1. So, But we were like right up to the deadline. I mean, two days before it aired, I think we delivered. So Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's a fantastic documentary. I mean, yeah, congratulations. Um, you just, yeah, you. I mean, you have a real knack for, so uh, yeah, I have to admit, I don't watch very many documentaries. And what I find is that when I do, I have to, uh, I have to really focus or the information just ends up soaring over my head somewhere. And I don't know why, and I don't know what it is. Is it a personal thing or whatever? I do. I don't find that with your documentaries. Um, I find them. You've just got that knack for. I don't know. Certainly for keeping me engaged. Um, <laughs> uh, so, tell me. So, what was it like shooting under lockdown? What, um, uh, like, how on earth did you pull it off? Um, it was actually fine. It wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be at the start. I think we were more worried about how we would manage shooting. Um, but when it actually came down to it, it was actually kind of lovely because, you know, we had that gorgeous weather in June and July. And so we shot a lot of our interviews outdoors, you know, and we just kind of spaced out our, we had a presenter, Sarah Ann Buckley, a historian, and we just, you know, sat her two metres away from whoever we were interviewing. And then we had two cameras kind of set right back with long lenses. And then, you know, we did, we boomed in overhead uh, mics on like long arms, and then we had radio mics on everybody. And so it was outdoors in the sun and like, it was really lovely. Um it was, it was kind of that was actually very pleasant to be brutally honest like we joked at one point is that it looks like a gardening show because we had all these like plants and flowers <laughs> and greenery in the background <laughs> but it was very it was actually very pleasant um cool. sh shooting indoors is more of a challenge obviously so but we tried to find really big spaces that we could still you know right. have the 
comes in and then shooting recons was a whole different kettle of fish again like you know but we just socially distanced all our actors as well as much as we could so it was it was interesting as well because I think like I was about probably halfway through and there was um uh, the presenter was was interviewing someone and uh, it just struck me suddenly that there was this distance between them and and so you know I got about halfway through before it even dawned on me that it might have been shot uh during lockdown uh, so yeah, I mean, it's not like it impacted it for the viewer in any way, um, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to ask you, like, but, but before we started recording, I had to ask you just to to be sure because you, yeah, you you couldn't you couldn't tell as such. You mentioned the reconstructions. Um, so uh, Marcus Lamb plays uh, Terence McSweeney. Yes, and yeah. and I guess you know, obviously, the podcast is called Acting Related. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think it's you know it's interesting. I was I was doing a quick bit of research um, before I, I got onto you to find out a bit more about um, you know dramatic reconstructions and when they started when people started using them because I mean you hardly ever see a, a documentary these days that doesn't actually feature actors in it. Yes, yes. Um, uh-huh. And I was I was reading that apparently they they. they started using them in like 1988 uh, and it was I don't know it was a documentary that I've heard of I can't say I've ever watched it I think it was the Thin Blue Line and I think it was oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so apparently he was the one who introduced them and caused a bit of a, a furore introducing them yeah. as well um, but yeah how how do you I don't know I guess um, how do you find the difference between directing the dramatic reconstructions versus is there is there a huge separation between the two parts of a documentary, the the reconstructions and the kind of in, more interview based material, um, there shouldn't be because they should all be in the service of the same story, right? Um, like it absolutely, you know, like everything you shoot should be in the service of that story that you're trying to tell, and they they shouldn't be so separate that they feel like separate entities they should be flip sides of the same coin or two halves of the same whole right. otherwise you're not keeping track of your story properly as a director you're not keeping track of your your content so I, I always everything I shoot it should always match up to that blueprint I have in my head of what's the story I'm trying to tell does this bit fit into this story if it doesn't why am I shooting it um, and you know you, you sort of have to constantly I suppose interrogate everything that you shoot in that way but I, I suppose the difference for me is, yeah, I love working with actors. I mean, I, I, it's almost like, um, it's almost like I go, yay, every time I get to um, shoot reconstructions, and a part of me just comes out to play, okay. <laughs> and I jump up and down with excitement at <laughs> the idea of shooting reconstructions because I just adore them, and I, I adore shooting reconstructions, and I adore working with actors, and so it's almost like um, the treat. <laughs> when you've okay. gotten through all the the really hard work of the rest of the documentary and then I get to go shoot my 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 lovely gorgeous uh reconstructions which sometimes can be I mean sometimes the subject matters are not really that lovely because you know I kind of shoot grim stuff <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but I do I you know what I mean but but at the same time um yeah there's just something about reconstructions that I just right. adore love I love the whole process of it and do you because you mentioned there that you you know that you get the more difficult stuff out of the way and then you get to play with on the the reconstructions do you always work in that order do you always shoot do you always shoot the more I'm not sure what to call it the more documentary yeah 
um the more i yeah i i um yes in it, it will i always work that way i don't know have right. i always worked that way up till now yes right um and there's a reason for that um the reason for that being that the reconstructions are like the visual material that you layer on top very often of your interviews so um i in an ideal world you would have a rough cut of an edit done and then you would shoot your reconstructions because you can you can shoot it your reconstructions are obviously more expensive to shoot than your um interviews you know what i mean much bigger right. crew reconstructions and much, much you know more locations and set and dressing and wardrobe and art direction all that kind of stuff so in an ideal world you would have a rough cut of an edit of your interviews and then you would shoot the reconstructions to match you know so that you're being very right. efficient with your reconstructions um, it never quite works out that way because you're always just up against it deadline wise okay, so sure yeah so but i tend to have a, um you know two thirds of it shot before we shoot the reconstruction so at least I have a good idea of what those reconstructions should be uh, it, when you say sorry yeah, yeah I, I, when you say you have an idea what the reconstructions should be mm. like how do you actually decide um where they're needed is there a story wise it's always about the story you kind of go you break it straight down and you go this is a really important part of the story and this is a really like almost like story beats I suppose you know that these are the key moments of this particular story and you have to have the visual material to match um and sometimes you go like I don't have it in photographs or I don't have it in um in archive footage from the period, you know? Um, so I absolutely have to get it as a reconstruction, otherwise I have no visual, visual material. And sometimes you just go, you, you just look at a story and you go, that's the moment I want to show, or that's the moment that really has to be seen, or that's the moment that's gonna hook the audience, or that's the high point of the drama, or that's the most poignant part of it, you know? So, so it's kind of half instinct and half where the gaps are. Right, yeah. Yeah. And I know, so I know as well, I should mention that um, 74 Days, the hunger strike of Terence McSweeney is on the RT player, certainly at the time that we're recording this. So hopefully also by the time it, it goes out. And then Koga Irvino is on the TG Cahar player. Uh, it's, it, it is on the TG Cahar player currently it as well, is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's um, on the one, I think. I think it's on both at the moment. Okay, cool. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that you tend to um, deal with quite... Um, some grim material and and Cougar of no uh, certainly is it is quite it is quite tough um again i just think you did such um an incredible job of directing it and of getting that message and those stories across um uh, i should also uh, in kind of full disclosure <laughs> mention that i am in it um, <laughs> but uh for a moment um uh, but i don't think that uh, i don't think that sways my opinion in fact uh, if anything i tend to be tougher on the things i'm in than the, than the things i'm not i think it's that thing of like knowing how the sausages are made or something um <laughs> but um but yeah so there so 74 days was shot entirely in lockdown and then Cougar Irvinal was also impacted by covid but in a more kind of, uh, to me anyway in a more kind of surprising way in a way that one might not expect do you want to maybe yes. just chat a little bit about that? Yes. First off, I want to say thank you for your performance in Cougar Vanaugh because it's a really amazing performance, Frank. And oh, thank I've you so much. Honored, 
who I felt really honored to work with you and it was quite a difficult scene that we filmed and you were just amazing in the way you approached it and I, I just I was incredibly grateful to you and to all my actors in it for well, that. Thank you so much I mean I was I was delighted to be a part of it and um, even more so when I watched it when I saw the final product I just I really felt like quite honored to be a part of just getting that message across and and out there I mean it's kind of it really is just incredible I mean it's uh, it's so Irish in a way isn't it to have convinced ourselves that none of this sexual violence could possibly have happened either on the parts of our you know polite um British opponents or on the part of our good Catholic um Republicans uh and to just have managed to completely brush that under the carpet despite the fact as you point out in the documentary it is just known that in any conflict it is always present um yeah 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 but yeah so you, you tell us a little bit about how how covid ended up impacting um Koga Irvino. Um, well, this kind of seems to be the story of my life at the moment, that I'm in a mad rush to finish a documentary and deliver it to the broadcaster. And then the minute I deliver, we go into lockdown. <laughs> so that's, this is the second time, second time this year this has happened. Like, literally, we delivered. So it's your fault. Lockdown. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> One of these days, I'd like to finish something and actually not be in lockdown. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we finished Kaga. We were in a, a massive rush last March to finish it in time uh, for the broadcast and then for the delivery, you know, for the delivery for the broadcast. And we literally delivered on the day before we went into lockdown, so the, the very first lockdown. And we were due to broadcast um, uh, very shortly after that. Um, and like it had gone out to, it had gone, the publicity had gone out. Um, it had gone out to the TV schedules in the newspapers and magazines and things. And so we were like all Thunderbirds are go, you know what I mean? Um, still on an adrenaline rush trying to finish the thing and then, you know, still on the adrenaline for the, the gearing up for the showing. And then the bro- it was to go on both broadcasters, RT and TG Carr, and then literally just at the last minute, both broadcasters pulled it. Um, and the reason they gave, which I totally get, I totally understand, um, was that during lockdown, you know, there was a, an expected increase in domestic violence um, cases, right. people being cooped up at home and having no escape. And they felt that it might be triggering or it might be very insensitive to screen it then. So um, so we pulled it Um but there was a fair amount of explaining. Like, I, I think the reason it was pulled was quite legitimate. But I, I had to explain to an awful lot of people who'd already seen the publicity and were expecting it to air, um, why it didn't air. And, you know, people, some people got the wrong end of the stick, really, and didn't understand the reasons why and, and thought that the broadcasters were maybe, you know, chickening out because of the subject matter or whatever. Right, and so okay. people kind of got up in arms on my behalf and I sure. sort of had to talk them about <laughs> sure. I had to talk yeah, back down yeah. and go, look, no, it's not, it's not what you think. It's not this documentary is not actually being buried, it's just being postponed. And then it did actually air a couple of weeks ago, you know. So yeah, so but it just yeah, it was just an unexpected um Yeah. I mean, COVID. yeah, not something not not something that you could obviously have predicted. Obviously, we couldn't have predicted the whole pandemic, but um <laughs> but it's just yeah, it's such an odd um, it's such an odd way to have something affected because you think, well, it's done, it's ready to go, it's TV, yes, surely, yes. Uh, you know, what could, what could the problem yeah. possibly be? And then, and, and then it gets pulled, which must have, I mean, that must have 
it must have had a fairly hefty emotional toll as well, especially if you were on that roller coaster of like getting it ready, everything right up to the la- right, right up to the wire, ready to go, boom, and then nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like having to come off the car when you're still at 100 miles an hour down the the highway. You know what I mean? But I, I think the adrenaline when you come down off a project is always fairly, you know, like the, w- once you stop, I think it always hits you like a ton of bricks anyway. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you find that, but I find absolutely. that. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. And you've, it's because you've, yeah. you've, you've just been cocooned in this. Probably shouldn't <laughs> choose that word anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you have, you've been in this, you've been in this bubble with these same people for so long and then the production finishes and yeah. kind of you're back on your own in your living room or your kitchen or it's, it is, it's, it's quite, um, it, it, it's quite a, it is a roller coaster. It really is. Yeah. 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 Um, so but you, we wouldn't have it any other way, would we, Frank? Like, you no, know exactly. I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you, yeah, you mentioned like how much, by the sounds of it, how how much joy you get out of shooting the the reconstructions. Does that mean that you might consider drama as uh, as well as because you've done, uh, have you done exclusively documentaries uh, as a well as a director? Say, have you done exclusively um, documentaries? A- yeah, as a director, but I started off as a script supervisor on dramas, actually. So the yeah. first the first couple of years of my career was exclusively on drama, you know. So, right. um, yeah, and I think I, I think I, I would actually love to make a I'd love to make a feature. I'd absolutely adore it. And I think I kind of have plans, a couple of ideas and hopefully in the next year or two kind of steer the ship a bit towards that. So, cool. yeah, because that would totally make my heart sing. Like, I love documentary, too. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. yeah. Well, you must. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If um, and would you write or would you direct somebody else's writing? I I would do either actually right. both. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I I always I I've always written like I I always I'm one of these people that I have like a mountain of notebooks that I constantly scribble right. in. Um, and I can't I constantly write I, I can't not write if you know what I mean right but I think it's very good for a director to also direct somebody else's work and somebody else's story I think that's an incredibly good um an incredibly good thing to do so I'd be very much open to that as well yeah right but you are I mean when you say you 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 would love to direct a feature are you are you say actively writing a feature or is it that's more is it a more <laughs> Okay, cool. Four half baked at the moment, like so. You know what I mean? In in different stages. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And you, uh, I noticed you have a cinematography credit as well on a another documentary. I think is it? Oh Jesus, Frank! (laughs) Where did you find that one? (laughs) IMDb. Where else? <laughs> that was many moons ago. Right. Uh, um I yeah, I mean like to be honest, I, yeah, I did that as a favor for a friend and somehow ended up with an IMDb credit for it. Right. Um but I I don't see myself honestly as a cinematographer. There are people who are way more gifted and way more talented at that than I am and it's an absolute pleasure and a joy to to work with somebody who's whose gift and talent is in that direction rather than but it must, it must have, but it must really help you at the same time even just in communicating to have that experience oh yeah oh completely 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 but yeah but it's not my you know I mean it that's cinematography is a craft and an art you know what I mean and there sure. are people who so much better that than me now so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> leave it to them <laughs> and uh so in in the reconstructions and um 
and I suppose for your future drama projects as well. To date, how have you how have you gone about casting your your projects? Do you do you cast personally? Do you get a casting director involved? How do you you know how do you how do you find your actors? Um, I'm actually really lucky. I live in Cork. Um, it's actually one of the really plus things is that we have such a talented pool of actors here in Cork, and yeah. um, that I think are totally um, underrated and unknown really in the bigger wider world like I mean one of the feedbacks that we got from TG Cara was when they saw the cast of Cougar Vano when they saw all the amazing Cork talent in it they were like oh my god like this is so fresh and these faces are so fresh and so new and so good and they're not the usual people that always turn up in reconstructions you know and for them they found it very authentic and they found it very believable because and very fresh because because it was able to show showcase that talented pool of actors in Cork so I'm really lucky that um you know bit by bit I get to know more and more who who's in Cork and, and who acts and you know and so I asked sometimes from people I know but also um I've also used Jack Keeley you know Jack Keeley who's um yeah of course yeah Jack Keeley Cork based actor but he also knows pretty much everybody and so I've also um hauled in Jack as like a help in casting but I do sometimes also ask people for recommendations. I go, look, I need a, this such and such a person to play this and this role. And then people go, oh, you know, the person you should really have a look at is, and they'll tell me who. And right. so it's a mix of word of mouth and, and people that you already know. And I also love, I, I adore getting the same people back, um, you know, for more more productions because we're almost like a family and, and you get to know people really well. Sure. And, and it helps. Yeah. It helps me as a director, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's really inter- that's really interesting that you say that. And I, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think there's an incredibly strong, um, dramatic, and acting community in Cork. And one of the things I love about Cork as well is just how supportive the theatre scene and the filmmaking scene is, as well as the the acting scene. There's, I really think that there's a really strong sense of community here. And not that I can necessarily speak for other places personally, but I know I have friends who've come back from further afield and they've, they part of the part of the reason that they've come back is to come back to that sense of community and, uh, and, and kind of support, uh, yeah, support that's here. Um, Yeah. It's really important. And like, is that, is it a conscious, because I know for me, it's definitely, you know, a lifestyle choice to just to stay here um in in your case like have you ever considered going to you know Dublin or London or further afield or have you always just known no I'm going to be in Cork stay in Cork and make my work from Cork um I did live in Dublin for about 10 years um and then I and I worked in Dublin and I came back um and to be honest for me it's a lifestyle choice too I just love living in Cork and I love the lifestyle here it's better than it would be in London or or in Dublin or anywhere else um and you you know it's funny what you said about like your friends coming back and saying that they came back with a sense of community like to me that sense of community is really important um and I get it as well like you know I've had a couple of people who've 
come down from Dublin to, you know, crew or to act and stuff that I've made. And they go, God, the difference in being on a set down here to being on a set in Dublin is huge because down here it's like a family and everybody's relaxed and happy. And, you know, we get a lot of work done and we're very focused and very efficient, but there's also a really nice warm atmosphere, you know, and um, it's often on sets in Dublin. It's not like that at all. It's much more businesslike and it's colder and it's much more, you don't have that same sense of people knowing each other as well, I suppose. And that sense of like, I had one actor from Dublin say we were like a family, you know, when yeah. he came on that set. So, yeah, I think yeah. it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I do think it has a lot to do with, you know, just knowing exactly what you want, because <laughs> I have I've been doing a lot of kind of uh, thinking about, you know, what it is I actually want from acting. Um, and I definitely realized that in the the industry in adverted commas is not for me <laughs> or it's not what you know i know that you know there are people who who love that sense of um I, I mean you know obviously there's a sense of professionalism that is required on any set but there's like you say there's a sense of business about some sets that that's not what i'm after that's not what i'm particularly interested in and i would i would I personally would always choose a smaller production with a warmer set over, say, a bigger name production with a more business-like set. Yeah. Um, and I and I just know now, well, that's what I'm into and that's fine and that's okay. And so I can comfortably, you know, I can comfortably, for example, pass on certain auditions uh, that might be, uh, it, you know, they might be more prestigious, but actually I'd much rather work on this uh, shoestring budget short over here because it's got heart and it's got soul and it's got, and yeah, it really is just a case of just knowing what it is you want. I think yeah. I am not the most ambitious person probably, but I know exactly what I want and I yeah. will go after that. Um, yeah. And if you're, you know, if you're a really ambitious actor and you want to make a name for yourself and you want to, well, then you probably need those business like sets and you need those bigger productions and you need to be in, mm-hmm. I don't know, London, yeah. LA, New York. Yeah, I kind of think, um, I, I think, I think that making art is incredibly important to me. Um, I think you make better art, actually, especially when it comes to working with actors, if there's a degree of intimacy and a degree of trust there. Yeah. I think I think an actor has to trust you and I think you have to be able to trust them, too. And I think if you can make that kind of very relaxed, comfortable open intimate place where people can take emotional risks and give you more I I actually think you make better art as a result of that you know just purely from a director's point of view but from a personal point of view as well like I I totally agree with you because I think it's not just it's about it's about living your life at the same time you know it's not just about the end product it's about do you enjoy the experience of making this like you know is this a good experience is it enriching is it you know is it fulfilling or are you just part of a big cog and a big machine and and I think I'm with you I I think I'm totally with you I'd prefer the smaller more intimate sets too for a whole host of reasons yeah yeah and I think what's interesting as well is that you know with the way that technology has advanced and is advancing there's no reason that you can't make top you know top quality art from anywhere 
that you don't completely. need to be in the centers anymore I don't believe yeah. anyway um, completely. I totally agree yeah absolutely we're so connected now like we've an international airport just at the road in Cork like you know what I mean you can be anywhere within a couple of hours yeah. you can zoom anybody anywhere at any time like oh, yeah I totally agree with you you're not as geographically bound as we used to be absolutely yeah yeah brilliant well that thank you so much for coming on that was a really illuminating illuminating and interesting chat um thank you me (laughs) thank you so much for coming on and where uh and i always forget to ask this question and i haven't forgotten it so i'm giving myself a pat on the back where (laughs) can people find out more about you or where can they connect with you online Oh, yeah, sure. Um, okay, so I have a website. Uh, it's www.kirahighland.com. And I'm on Twitter as well. Yeah, so if people want to, you can stalk me on Facebook or I don't really use Instagram. I'm, yeah, but you know, yeah, my website, will, you'll, you'll get me to the website. If Perfect, brilliant. And I'll, I'll put links to them, to your to your website and your and your Twitter in the in the show notes so people can find Great. you easily. So thank you again. And I will chat to you soon. And uh, I look forward to seeing your next projects. Thanks. 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 <laughs> Talk to you soon. <laughs> this is where I usually say subscribe and share and tweet and blah, 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 blah. And you probably get so used to hearing it that you zone it out. But in the hopes that you are still actively listening, I'm going to ask you if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with just one person that you think would also enjoy it. And if you want to connect with me directly, you can find me on Twitter at Frankie P. F-R-A-N-K-I-E-P. And if you are looking for a quick, easy and affordable professional actors website, check out www.mysite.actor. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Cheers. <laughs>